I invite you to pray with me. As we've just heard, God, may the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Um, There's a strange thing that happens to you when you start to realize that you're dead set in midlife. Um, All of a sudden, your your doctor's appointments change. Um, They used to be cursory. Yeah, your bloods look fine. Everything's cool. And all of a sudden, it becomes a little more, you know, why don't you close that door behind you, sir? Um, <laughs> those kinds of conversations start happening. And pretty soon, you get texts from the doctor saying, you got to get this booster shot, and you booster jab, and you can only get it when you're at this age. It's funded them. It's an interesting thing to start contemplating the second half of life. Um, and one of the things that you start doing as we age is we start contemplating our end we start looking at the end of our lives and how we want to end our lives and what matters most to us. And that is no easy task. And so for the young people in the room, you're kind of checked out already, but I, I implore you, listen with your ear. You'll, you'll hear something for you, I'm sure. It's one of the things I think that's coming through in this reading from Philippians. Um, we hear Paul who finds himself in a jail cell once again, and he's staring down his own end, and he's contemplating whether he's ever going to see the light of day, taste freedom once more. And so he's having to spend every day thinking about his life, and it's a very reflective space, and he's wondering, has he, lift, has he lived his life well? Um, has he made the right decisions? And it's a hard thing for him to ponder. It's a hard thing for any of us to ponder. But you will no doubt know the feeling. It may not be a jail cell that you've encountered, but you'll no doubt had something happen to you in life that nudges you towards the contemplation of your own death, of your own mortality. It may be some form of a diagnosis that's unexpected or a brush with fate, a car accident, or simply outliving your loved ones. But few things are more sobering than contemplating our own mortality. As we get older, life gets clearer. What matters gets clearer. Some people only begin on their spiritual path in their second half of life. Richard Rohr wrote a book about it called Falling Upwards, A Spirituality for the Two Halves of Life. His term, falling upwards, is the term he uses for that inclination that all of us develop as we age, the inclination to take take life seriously, to be more intentional about our time and our relationships, and to leave nothing to chance so far as it depends on us. Falling upwards can lead to us being a wee bit philosophical about life, and it does make me wonder if this is what we're hearing when we read Paul's words. Scholars will differ on what they think Paul is writing about in this letter. Some say he's responding, as he often did, to some kind of conflict that was occurring in the church that he had founded. Others say that he's trying to explain why the messenger that's come to him from the community at Philippi, whose name is Epaphroditus, has been sent back with all the gifts that they'd sent to sustain Paul in prison. And a third group of scholars argue that this letter was simply a thank you note 
for all their financial generosity across his life and his ministry, that they had shown Paul a tremendous amount of generosity and benevolence, even though they were a small church and they were not very wealthy. And so what they had given, they'd given out of their sense of sacrifice. But I think there may just be a little bit more going on here than these three strings. And I think all three of those strings have a piece in what Paul is rehearsing. Our reading this morning is very clear. Paul is rehearsing his bona fides, his CV. He is a Jew of Jews, a descendant of the tribe of Benjamin, who would have had some kind of um, uh, brand awareness in ancient Israel in the first century. He is a Pharisee, and so he would know the scriptures backwards and front. He's a defender of the faith and the persecutor of the church, of heretics, which he claims was not a choice but a duty. And he also makes a reference to being a Hebrew born of Hebrews, which some scholars think might be a reference to the fact that he grew up in a Hebrew-speaking home, in a home that chose to preserve a language that was very much being diluted by empire and the lingua franca of the day. All these things, he says, to rehearse his upward trajectory throughout his life, his upward mobility in a culture that prized credentials and bloodline and achievement. Sound familiar? But notice Paul's summary of all these things and where he lands. Notice that his education and his experience and all his influence amount to what he terms rubbish, which is a polite way of saying it amounts to nothing. And in the Greek language, the actual word that's used is something far more akin to the word for dung. What we're hearing this morning from Paul is what we often hear from people who are falling upwards in their lives, who are facing down the end, who are getting to the end of a life well lived. Their identity is not necessarily found in who they are, what they've done, their accolades, their diplomas, their post-nominals, none of that matters in the end. And for Paul, who was facing down death, it was not upward mobility that mattered, but a sense of downward mobility. Downward mobility. What do I mean by that? Downward mobility has to do with this idea of embracing life with humility. It's the type of move that comes out of embracing your mortality, of realizing that you are finite and you have one life to live. It's the experience of separating your identity from your ego and doing the hard work of wrestling with the truth of who you really are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Traditionally, it's really been the only pathway that has led to some form of spiritual enlightenment. Why? Simply because it's what we see God doing in Christ. In Jesus, we behold this utterly unthinkable move of God, this move to become one of us, to share in our joys and our pains, and to not be spared from the most threatening of realities, our mortal deaths. The downward mobility of God sets the stage for those who want to get real, who want to embrace life in all of its depth and its density, and move beyond the superficial but please don't think this is something that you can only do or that can only happen after a lifetime of accumulating and climbing up other people's ladders. That's why these words are so important this morning because we all know 
and life often reminds us of just how fragile and just how short life can be. A few years ago, I suddenly realized I was getting older when friends from high school started dying unexpectedly. Maybe this happened to you. It's a different phase of your life when you suddenly realize that people at the age of 40 and 41 are just taken and gone. One of my really good friends from high school was fit as a fiddle, had an infant son, and died in his sleep from a heart attack. No previous issues, health issues. He was the most athletic person you could possibly find. Another one of my best friends in high school, we rode to school every day together for four years to school. She had a car and I didn't, and she lived around the corner, so she picked me up, and I was the person that would blast the radio, and she would slap my hand as she tried to turn it down to concentrate on the road. And at the age of 27, she developed lymphoma, and she battled that for the rest of her short life when she passed away at the age of 42 leaving a 13-year-old daughter and a 5-year-old son. Sometimes life has a way, an ugly way, of reminding you of what matters. Now those experiences had profound effect on me. And I wonder if something in Paul's letter had a similar effect for his own congregation. After all, Paul is relating his experience of being in jail, and there's a good chance that he's not going to leave behind those bars again. And he says these words, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul is willing to assign all of his achievements and previous agendas, his aims, and his, his, the way that he had thought about himself. He's willing to assign them all to the trash heap. He knew that in the end, none of that would bring comfort. No, his only comfort was that no matter what life threw his way, only being found in God, being known in Christ, mattered in the end. Paul understood the pathway of downward mobility, of falling upward towards the things of heaven, because he knew that it was what God had done in Jesus and what Jesus' own faithfulness to God had allowed him to rest easy in, that his assurance was not in something that he'd done or not done, but rather what God had done for him in Christ. And that he was safe, no matter what came his way, in God's loving embrace. No one and nothing in life could take that away from him because it wasn't something that he achieved. It was no diploma hanging on the wall. It was God's gracious gift. In a few minutes, we'll come around this table to celebrate this good gift. In the ancient language, they use the word Eucharist, and some churches still do. And if you break down that word, it simply means good gift. We'll come to remember and be reminded of what matters most. That in Jesus Christ, God said yes to downward mobility. That in Jesus, God joined us in our weakness and in our fear and in our vulnerability. So let this morning's time of communion be one more of invitation to fall upwards, to become awake to the things of heaven around you, to focus and pursue what matters most. For in the end, all of our achievements and accolades will be little more than rubbish when compared to the faces that we greet this morning as we partake in this table.
Thanks be to God. Amen.